Now, on day two of each test match this summer, we've managed to speak to a celebrity or someone who's thrived in their field outside of cricket about their love of the game. And today we are joined by the host of ABC Adelaide Breakfast. He's an ARIA award winner. I'm keen to delve into that. And a well-known comedian, Jules Schiller. Now, Jules, we've spoken a number of times, but always on the phone. So great to see you face-to-face. How are you doing? It is a pleasure to be here, Andy. Uh, Andrew, I should say, in the rarefied air of the uh, Grandstand Cricket Box. The long-time listener, first-time appearance. Yes, no, it's good to see you. It's a fair view from here, too, isn't it, oh, down the ground? Just, I mean, Adelaide Oval looks magnificent at the best of times, but from here, it's just a perfect view. Best cricket ground in the world, wouldn't you say? It's my favourite stadium in Australia anyway. Okay, I've right. been to enough around the world to, to make a judgement, but I, I, oh, I shouldn't say stadium, or Jimmy will have me. Yeah, uh, my favourite cricket ground, ground yeah. oval in the country by far. I love coming here, there's no doubt about it. I saw you for your Adelaide Breakfast Show yesterday. You are doing it on the steps between, I guess, Adelaide Oval and, and Memorial Drive. Um, and you, you met plenty of people. I know Jimmy made an appearance and Carl Hooper among others, and you were talking to some fans along the way, and you were getting some great stories, weren't you? Well, yeah, I mean... I mean, it's such a sort of cultural institution, the Adelaide Test. I mean, people kind of talk about the attendances in Perth and, you know, there was obviously you had the Premier on yesterday saying we deserve a better fixture, we better time of the year, we deserve, you know, India, England. But people come to the Adelaide Test regardless. Yeah. And it is a tradition amongst SACA members. People come from regional South Australia. There are so many traditions around this test. Um, I think more than any other state. You know, we spoke to people involved in blind cricket, people who collect cricket memorabilia. I spoke to a guy who actually recreates the lunch that they used to get in Love the Bradford story. Room in the 1970s. Yeah. You know, they, in the 70s, think of the food they were eating in their members. It was crumbed lamb chops, oysters, mm. you know, um, prawn cocktails. Uh, there was always kind of cream caramels, cream caramels and some chocolate mousse. And they eat it and then they come to the cricket every year. Brilliant. I love that they do that. There'd be people with their rituals not just in Adelaide, but all around the country who've been going to test cricket for decades and they'll do something like that yeah. every single year with their mates or family. Yeah, it's great traditions of cricket. Now, I'm more than aware of much of your professional history, especially as a comedian and, and more recently as a broadcaster on the Drive show and now on the, the breakfast show. How do you cope with those hours, by the way? Because oh. as a comedian by trade, you're not working yeah. that end of the day normally, right? Well, I get up at 3.50 every yeah. morning and I, every morning I pretend that I'm getting an international flight just to try and lessen the kind of burden. Right. But you know you know what it's like, you've got up early. Once you're up, you've had a couple of, couple of coffees, you're right to go. The, the thing that amazes me, we start at 5.30. That's almost our busiest time on air. Yeah, right. People are getting up to go to the gyms, they're doing deliveries. Like a lot of people are up early, Andrew. At, I, I once did a show for a number of years called Wake Up Australia, commercial radio, 3.30 a.m. to 5.30. Getting to work at 12.31 in the morning. Yeah. To do, do that for five or six years, you don't know your toe from your forehead. I've been getting advice on how to get rid of the bags under your eyes. You get all sorts of advice because tea bags is one. Yeah, tea bags. That's an old... Ice cubes. Have you tried any of them? Well... You don't really have bags, I've got to say. I asked Christopher Pine once when he was Minister for the Ageing what's the best way to get rid of bags under your eyes or wrinkles and he went straight to the hemorrhoid cream. Which is an old... I've heard that too, yeah. An old wives trick. Yes, that's right. That's no offence to old wives. Correct. Now, as I said, I I know about it your history I didn't know until just before we came on here about or I'd forgotten or it was somewhere in the back of my head an aria yes tell two. me about that two arias two arias yes Who uh, do you think you are John Farnham yeah no um, I work with a, a friend of mine Tony Moclair in commercial radio and he I wrote this character he voiced this character and co-wrote it called Guido Hatzis who was kind of a 
a, a Greek kind of a guy that uh, was very kind of full of himself, kind of, you know, quite a bit of a loser, but lovable as well. And that, they were very popular in the late 90s. And, uh, yeah, we picked up two ARIA awards for it. I know old mate of mine, Billy Birmingham, yeah. um, had such great pride because he wrote or helped co-wrote with Ostentatious, Australiana, yeah. and it's back in the 80s, right? Yeah. And that knocked off Hello from Lionel Richie. It knocked off Madonna at the top of the charts. I can't remember whether they won an aria or not, but to be number one on the hit chart, knocking off all these famous singers, it meant the world to him. Well, I was in the UK in, like, 1979 to 1983, and there's a great song by Ultravox called Vienna. You know, one of the great... Right. Early, that never got to number one in the UK. You know what was number one for, like, six weeks? Joe Dolce, Shut Up Your Face. Shut Up Your Face. What's the matter you? Hey! hey. Yeah, extraordinary stuff. Two arias. That's very, very impressive. What's the most proud thing you have, whether it's a little trophy or a, uh, an award like that? Oh, you know, uh, I've got a few sports awards, you know, under... 14B's cricket, best attendance, I think. Yep. Yeah, best no, attendance. I mean, that's probably the best one. I've got a few kind of radio awards along the way, Andrew, mm. but uh, an aria is great, yeah. Yeah, that would be very cool. So you've lived in Adelaide for how long? Are we talking oh, about 10 years or so? Yeah, I was born around? here. I was yeah. born here, so early childhood here. Then I was here from 2004 to 11. I was in Sydney for a little while, and I've been back here since 2017. So, yeah, probably about a third of my life in, in South Australia. OK. And so you've seen a lot of cricket here. We, we, as you mentioned, have the South Australian Premier on yesterday, who is a legitimate sporting fan. That's yeah. clear. That's, that's uh, not put on in any way. And I was talking to Ben Cameron, our producer, and he was telling me some of the events that you have seen live. Yes. It's extraordinary. You, in fact, are the centenary test. Is that right? Yeah, my dad is a huge cricket fan, and he took me to, you know, lots of sporting events when I was a small child. It's amazing when you think back at... I don't know if you went to big stadiums as a small child, how big they were. Oh, yeah. The heaving kind of crowd, the noise, you know, the smell of Almost beer. overwhelming. Overwhelming, and the centenary test. And that's when I really kind of developed my love of Marsh and Lily. I was, yeah. I was uh, seven at the time. But if you remember that test, and I revisited it, you know, from time to time, I mean, Lily on the last day, coming off 10 steps, yeah. you know, bowling the English out. And, and Rod Marsh did that amazing thing where he took a catch... And the umpire gave it out, and then he said, no, no, I didn't catch it. Yeah. It was a great sporting contest, and, yeah. Rick McCosker coming out with his head bandage. Yeah. Kerry O'Keefe having to open in the second innings. That's right. Derek Randall got a big 100, didn't he, yeah. for England? Did Rob Marsh get a 100? He might have got a... Oh, no, 90-something. 90 90-something, 90 yeah. okay. And then it was 45 runs, wasn't it? The same result yeah. as, like, and 100 years earlier. In 1877. And I've got to interview both Marsh and Lily in my career two other highlights. And I remember asking Dennis Lee about the centenary test, you know, and I remember saying, you know, there's so much sports science involved in fast bowling now, you know, they've got apps and they enter, you know, their, their moods and all that type of stuff. How did you bowl like that? And he looked at me and said, mate, there's nothing like a hot bath yeah. after every test. And the amount, a hot bath. the amount of photos back in the 70s and early 80s, you'd see of the likes of Lily or Marsh in a tub yes. with a cigar. Yes. You know, that's how, you know, there was no various pills that they are given, vitamins and whatever these days, and their ice bath and all, all the rest of it. Very, very and different. Rod, Rod Marsh lived in Adelaide for a long, long time, and yeah. I got to interview him about... I spent half an hour with him about six months before he died, and that was just such a moment that I treasure. Such a lovely man. When you meet your heroes, you're always worried that, you know, they might be kind of moody or might be dismissive, but Rod Marsh was the loveliest man. I was generally really upset when he, he yeah. died, Andrew. I was lucky to work with him back in or late 80s, I want to say, and the network I was at was owned by the Packer family, and Rod Marsh had had a nice relationship with Kerry. James was very young at the time, but he'd been critical of 
Rod had been critical. So he was doing Channel 9 and working on the radio also. And he'd been critical, I think, of one-day cricket in some way. I can't remember the exact circumstance. But I was like a 19-year-old, 20-year-old, and I was producing the coverage and doing Rick's job scoring. And I get a phone call from the, the boss of the station saying, I need you to fire Rod Marsh before the day starts. I said, beg your pardon? He said, no, Kerry Packer, it's come directly from him. You need to fire him for these comments. I'm like, I'm 19. You pay me like 10 grand a year. I'm not firing Rod Marsh. That's not my go. And so everyone kept passing the buck and Rod's up. And I had to draw up a pretend roster for the day yeah. and the real roster for the day. It was horrible. And when Rod got the news from someone far more senior than me, I went to him and shook his hand. He was, just, he was always lovely. Um, and speaking to him a bit over the last couple of years while we're working with Ian Chappell, he's just such a, a shock and a tragedy, like you're saying, when mm. he passed away. Uh, other memorable moments, I think we're both at the MCG in 92. World oh. Cup final, Pakistan against England, right? It's funny because when I think about the most vivid memory I have of cricket, it's of Pakistan winning that World Cup final and all dropping to their knees. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever seen a team just hit the deck like yep. that when they'd won that final. And your last ever game for Imran Khan, Wazim Akram, Alan Lamb, Ian Botham. There were 87,000 yep. at the MCG that day. And, I mean, it was a... I mean, England were up against it, you know, trying to chase down that 250 runs that Pakistan got. But I've never forgotten the Pakistani team dropping to the ground. Some of them, you know, praying just in jubilation. And you know now what it meant to them. Yeah. And as you say, the moment for Imran Khan to, to raise that trophy, that over from Wazam Akram, where he dismissed Chris Lewis and uh, with those brilliant deliveries from wide of the stumps and clipping the top of off stump. I think it was Lewis and Lamb. Alan Lamb, he managed to get out. It was, it was an amazing thing. And that atmosphere was great. Yeah. And you talk of stories about people. Norman May of ABC legend, the, the late, great Nugget. He was working with us, and we're walking to the ground together. And he said, oh, no. I said, what's happened? He said, I forgot to bring my pass to a World Cup final. Right. And they were pretty strict at the MCG back then. So he said, don't worry about it. We'll be right. He said, you go first. So I walk in with my pass, go through, and I don't even want to look behind me. Anyway, 10 steps later, Norman said, we're sweet. We're right. Let's go. I said, how did you do that? He said, I pulled out a pass that they thought was a pass, and it was actually a pizza delivery <laughs> fridge magnet. Right. But, but I just showed it with confidence. That's it. I, what a legend. I wish I'd gone nightclubbing with him, Andrew. Oh, I got yeah. rejected from most nightclubs I attempted to get into. Why? Uh, well, you know. Why? I didn't meet the dress code. I, I didn't meet the good-looking code probably back then. You know, it was always, it was always girls were letting first in the 80s and boys had to queue up for a long time. You're... <laughs> I've never passed the good-looking hat on. <laughs> um, interesting family history with sport. Yes. Um, your grandfather, tragically, oh. he passed away at watching a Hawthorne game, right? Yeah, this is... I mean, my family are mad AFL fans yeah. as well. My, my grandfather, Alphonse Schiller, huge Hawthorne fan, and they very rarely won, if you know your AFL in the 40s, 50s and 60s, and they won a game, I think, in the early 60s. And I think he got so pent up that... He actually had a heart attack and was pronounced dead outside Glenfrey Oval, so only steps away from the ground. And this is something that haunts future generations of the Schillers, because my dad has a, has a sort of a pacemaker in, and you know you can download data from that pacemaker. And he went to the cardiologist once, and he's looking at the, the data, and he said, did, did, did you have, what happened on the Saturday 28th, yeah, Saturday 28th of September in 2014? And 
Dad was at the preliminary final, Port Adelaide v Hawthorne, where Port Adelaide had a shot to win the game and put Hawthorne out of the finals. Mm. And he had a, a cardiac event. So he is now banned from watching live sport, from wow. watching Hawthorne play live. And during the, during the next few grand finals, Dad would go and sit somewhere in regional Victoria. He'd drive into the countryside. He'd sit in a car in an empty lane. And at the end of the game, I'd just type win, lose. He said just one word. Because he didn't want to see any cars with Hawthorne flags. He just sat in solitude. My goodness. So he couldn't. There is a, I've done a story on this. There's like a, an increase in cardiac events amongst men during a World Cup. You know, because men get stressed yeah. during games. Yeah. You see them pacing. Yep. You're around the toilets at half time. And, well, you, yeah. see, you see week in, week out at whatever footy code or sporting yeah. code you follow, what it means to people. Like it. I remember uh, working with legendary league coach Jack Gibson once. He was talking about his time at Parramatta in the early 1980s. And he was the major sponsor at that time um, was telling him that because they were so invested as a company, that their attendance rate at work on a Monday, if Parramatta won on the weekend, was like 98% or whatever, yeah. really high, almost, almost perfect. If they lost on the Sunday, it was down to about 68%. That, that's the impact sport oh, has. It has. I remember talking to Santo Chalaro, who's a great comedian and huge soccer mm. and sports fan, and he said he went to a cinema in Melbourne and they were doing a replay. I think it was the 1982 um, World Cup final that Italy won. So everyone piled in. They had it on the big screen and they had a break at half time. And he said he'd go out there. People are outside smoking, going, oh, we need to get this guy off. You know, they're going to, you know, talking like it was a real game. Yeah. People getting passionate about it and we've got to get that guy off. And, you know, we've got to... They knew they won. Yeah. But again, men got stressed it's just reliving it. Hysterical. But it's the beauty of sport. And like I say to people who don't follow sport, you're missing out on the release from the world because this becomes such an emotional roller coaster where the lows are so low but the highs are the best thing you'll experience you, you live with it for the whole week that's the thing i mean you can watch a romantic comedy and halfway through you can predict nothing against romantic comedies you can predict the end thriller you know you can predict, predict the end but sport is always unpredictable and that's what draws me to it andrew special guest here grandstand at lunch jules schiller host of abc radio breakfast here in adelaide at lunch australia is five for 144 Trailing by 44 runs with two South Australians going at it. Travis Head on 41, Alex Carey on 9. Three wickets for Shamar Joseph, one each for Kamar Roach and on debut, Justin Graves. He was the one who dismissed Usman Kawaja for 45. So far, the top score for Australia after Smith went yesterday for 12, Manus Labuschagne for 10. But we talk of the beauty of this place, Jules, and I was on here with Stewie Clark earlier talking about the amazing scoreboard here, and we spoke to Simon in the scoreboard yesterday. But the, the ability of this able to modernise itself without losing its charm, character and beauty. For someone who's been coming here for as long as you, what, what is it about this place that makes it the number one able in the world for you? Um, it's the centre of the city. Like when the test is on, you, yeah. you walk around the city and you, know, you see people in you know, test colours and you know, all roads lead to Adelaide Oval when there's a big event on. There was a, you know, there was a huge debate if you're on talk radio back when the refurb was going on. There was a massive debate. That there were people in, around this ground that were against the light towers. At one stage, they were going to be retractable light towers so they could go up and down so they wouldn't interrupt the view. But, you know, like a lot of things, there's opposition to it at first. And then I think when people saw what they did with the stadium, preserving the hill, preserving the scoreboard, the whole city fell in love with it. And, I mean, I think if you go to an AFL, 
AFL game here. It's the best home and away AFL ground in the world. You saw State of Origin here. Yeah. I know it's not a rectangular ground, but no, great, great atmosphere. Yep. Um, it's it, just something about this ground, the fact that you can see trees, the scoreboard, um, the cathedral. I don't know. I just absolutely love coming here, Andrew. It's hard to argue with. It's, it ticks all those boxes. Tell me, as a, as a comedian and a radio host, and you've been doing this a long time, not just at the ABC, what, what do you look for? What's funny to you? What's Because you, you're, just, you're clearly a, um, a passionate guy and you're full of energy and you're a positive person, <laughs> but what is it that makes a funny joke to you? What is it about observing life that ticks the box for you and you well, think, okay, I'm writing that down? That, that's, a, that's a significant question. Um, I mean, when it comes to sport, I think it's, you know, what we've just talked about. It's the, the passion and the, you know, and the irrationality that you have as fans. I remember doing, you would have done talk back on this, Andrew, superstitions that fans have when they're watching oh, yeah, the game. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've spoken to, I remember speaking to one lady on Talkback Radio once and she said she would lean whichever way the team was going. So when they were kicking to the left of the screen, she would make sure she leaned to the left of the wow. screen. She'd lean to the right of the screen when they were going there. You know, people, some people won't wear the colours that their team is playing against that night. You know, and what I love, what's funny to me is that often if someone walks into a room and say two wickets are taken or, you know, three tries are scored, an irrational sports fan will say, can you leave? Yes. You know, get out of the room. Yep. Get, or if the inverse happens, they go, no, no, just, just hang around for 10 minutes longer. Well, cricketers are famous for not leaving the spot if a partnership's building or you're nearly nearing a, a win or a loss. I was watching Pat Cash win Wimbledon in 1988 at a mate's apartment, the late Chris Kearns. Uh, who has been radio for forever and a day. And Pat Cash had won the first couple of sets against Devan Lendl. And I went outside to the balcony. He overlooked the harbour, and I'm just having a look. And Cash got broken in the third set. Yes. He's like, get in here. Don't move from that seat. <laughs> and, of course, he broke back and ended up winning Wimbledon. Uh, I think it's because, you know, we, we want... We want so much for our heroes and our teams to win, but you know we're obviously not in control, and it's just a way of kind of trying to take back control and get our team over the line. That's, I think, what I find funny about life. It's the kind of the irrationalities. Yeah. It's the human nature of the world that I think comedians and, and you work can on. find that a vast yeah. area with with many people. A couple of minutes before we head to the news, Jules. A couple of questions to finish with. Over, you've been in radio now, what, 30, 40 years? 40 years? Uh, 93. So, yeah, coming years. up 31 years. Okay, yeah. 31 years. Who's the biggest name or the most awe-inspiring interview you've done? Oh, you know what? The I reckon the biggest name's probably Angelina Jolie. I've interviewed oh, nice. her a couple of times. Right, yeah. nice. And I remember... And was she fun to interview? She, she is. She's brilliant to interview. And I remember the first time I interviewed her, she was, you know, she was single. I think it was before Brad Pitt and after, I think, Billy, I don't know, she, someone. And I remember, like, in the radio station, all these plumbers and electricians, it was on um, the commercial, it rang up and offered their, you know, said, well, if she's free tonight, then you can head down to the RSL, I'll be there. Um, yeah, no, she was great. Angelina was great. But um, Speaking of being single. Yes. Have I read recently that you're one of the most eligible bachelors in, if not Adelaide, all of South Australia. I, I was uh, the 17th most eligible bachelor in Adelaide. But I was also... The, the, other, the, other, the other things that made the list were the pandas, Wang Wang and Fooney, yeah. who have... So I'm not sure that's, that's something to boast about. You should, uh, but I wouldn't tell the story adding that in. <laughs> you could just leave it alone. Yeah, so if Wang Wang and Fooney doesn't work out for you, two pandas that haven't obviously copulated ever, then 
I'm, ne I'm your next port of call, Andrew. I, I won't ask for your stats in that area. <laughs> Jules Sheller, so good to see you, mate. Um, ongoing success with your breakfast show. Great Thank to you. learn a little more about you today. Thank you, Andrew.